Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone! It's into the bullpen! This game is tied! This game is tied! David Ortiz! David Ortiz! David Ortiz! And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and joining me for episode 231 of the show is Shelly Verstraight whose uh, voice you probably have heard if you're subscribed to this podcast because she has a Red Sox, couple of Red Sox podcasts on this network. Yeah, wow. Uh, the Precap Podcast and the Red Sox On Deck Prospect Podcast. And tonight she is uh, stepping in as a pinch hitter uh, for Keaton DeRocher, uh, who couldn't make it with us tonight. But uh, Shelly, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm excited to have you on the Red Seat. Hey Jake, yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to just finally be on this podcast with you and talking Red Sox. Uh, sad that Keaton couldn't be here, but I will be the pinch hitter. Hopefully, you know, I, you know, drive in some runs and uh, we win a game. Yeah, hopefully you'll be more Christian Arroyo than like. I don't know. Insert bad pinch hitter, um, but I get I get Christian Arroyo <laughs> irrational confidence vibes from you, so I feel like we're we're uh, we're going places here. Uh, I there could you could say you know you could comp me to worse players than Christian Arroyo in a high leverage situation, so I will take that, and <laughs> I am very happy with that. All right, excellent. Uh, Shelly may also be joined by her two beautiful French Bulldogs, uh, so if you hear some uh, snoring in the back, it is not Shelly or I. It is either Orsillo or Soto, um, so just alerting you now, can't be controlled. They need to snuggle with their mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, uh, on tonight's podcast, what we're going to be talking about is really just a couple things. Um, the... The hay is nearly in the barn, so to speak, uh, with this season. Um, 
There's not a lot that we haven't analyzed over the course of uh, the season, but it's coming down to the fact that the Red Sox just need to win games. So we're going to be talking a lot about uh, what the roster looks like right now, and we're going to be talking about uh, who's going to get in with the uh, wild card spots. Um, we got a listener question about that, so uh, kind of prompted this discussion. So let's get right to it. Um, Shelly, the Red Sox are opening up a three-game West Coast uh, set versus the Mariners tonight as we are recording this. We are recording at uh, almost 7 o'clock at night Eastern time. They're going to be playing at 10 uh, against the Mariners. Mariners are three games back of the Red Sox uh, for the first wild card spot. Um, you know, they're tied with division rival Oakland. Uh, this is a big series. What are you expecting to see uh, out of Red Sox Mariners? Um, honestly, I'm expecting to see a lot of, of runs, probably from both, oh, well, definitely from the Red Sox side and maybe from the Seattle side. Um, I, I just really think that we can really get to Logan Gilbert, Tyler Anderson, and Marco Gonzalez. Um, but honestly, that's really not our, our problem, right? It's it's our pitching that is a problem. I I'm hoping that we get we get good Erod and not bad Erod with this first game here. Um, I I totally believe in what Nathan Eovaldi has done, Tanner Houck. I'm I'm I want him to get you know through the third part of the third time through the lineup. We haven't seen that before, but our bullpen really needs to step up. So I think that we can be pretty good here against Seattle, but it's not necessarily a cakewalk. No, it definitely isn't. Um, you know, they're they're a tough team, and they've been a better team uh, as of, you know, the last month or so. Um, yeah, Seattle's going to be tough. Seattle at Seattle is tough. And, you know, I think you, you nailed it. On paper, the Red Sox should have the advantage with the starting pitchers. Um, Erod in a bubble, obviously, you know, you, you never know what you're going to get from Erod. That's the problem with Erod. But, you know, he should be a better pitcher than Logan Gilbert at this point in Logan Gilbert's young career. Uh, Eovaldi's awesome, so that should be good. I have zero worries about Tanner. I just worry about the pen behind Tanner, as you said. And I, this series is going to be decided by the bullpen. And that's not necessarily a good thing uh, with how the bullpen has been looking uh, lately, but um, you know, one of the weird things I noticed when I was kind of looking at looking forward to this series was um, the Seattle Mariners, only three games behind the Red Sox record, have a run differential of negative fifty-seven. Versus, you know, the Red Sox obviously have a a positive run differential, almost the same number of positive runs as you know Seattle has negative runs. So, you know. I guess my question is, how the hell are the Seattle Mariners winning games with, you know, a, a pretty poor run differential over the course of the season? <laughs> Honestly, I really don't know, but it's like, like what I, I mean, I look at box scores like every day and it just seems like whenever like Seattle's like a really close game, right? Like their bullpen just like locks it down. And then when Boston, when it goes, when it goes bad, it goes really, really bad. It's just, it, yeah. So I think that, I think that as much as I really would love to see Seattle make the playoffs, just as long as the Red Sox make the playoffs as well, 
I I just don't believe in everything in their lineup, especially especially in that bullpen. Yeah, there's some like interesting guys like Paul Seawald, uh, Drew Seconrider is doing some interesting things, but it's like how can we trust it for more than like a month at a time? I don't I don't know. Yeah, I agree with that. If you look at um how their bullpen was constructed too, if you look at the the teams that these guys came from, it it literally looks like a rainbow. Like all of these guys were uh, acquired from different organizations, you know, one one homegrown guy in their whole pen. Um, it's really a mishmash of, of dudes, and and I agree with you. I like the guys at the top, but you know, there's not a lot great at the bottom. There's castoffs like Sean Doolittle and failed rotation guys like Justice Sheffield, and then uh, Matt Andrees, old friend Matt Andrees, has caught on. Uh, so hopefully he gets into a game and the Red Sox can tee off. Uh, on Matt Andrees, that'd be that'd be some fun. Um, but one of the interesting things about Seattle too, before we kind of move on from them, is Abraham Toro, um, guy who came over in the Kendall Graveman trade. His teammates like hated him from day one because they loved Graveman and hated that trade. But since he's come over, he's been such a key piece for them. So I have to believe he's probably popular now. Um, uh, I mean, honestly, I think that he has to be. I mean, uh, uh, Toro is getting everyday run at second base. Um, and then, like, they, they traded him for Crindle Graveman, who, yeah, he, he maybe he was, like, really, really a good clubhouse guy, which I can't really, you know, poo-poo the, the, uh, the Mariners uh, team for being upset that you basically traded, like, a really awesome guy for Abraham Toro. But... You were. This was like a one-year deal with Graveman. You're getting Toro, who is actually like a really good player. He's playing every day. He's contributing. So, yeah, I mean that that dude is like really good. I think that was a really good trade for Seattle. Yeah, basically, since he came over, second half of the season, he went from being a two thirty hitter to a two eighty hitter um, with some some pop. So. A little, little bit of a better outcome. Maybe Jerry DePoto knows what the hell he's doing. Um, maybe not, too. I, I still haven't figured him out. I don't think anybody has. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, sh- it should be a fun series nonetheless. Um, let's get to some roster stuff, though. So uh, on the COVID front, obviously the Red Sox have been ravaged by COVID over the last month or so. Uh, since we last recorded this podcast, it came out that Chris Sale has covid uh, as does Danny Santana and Phillips Valdez as a non-vaccinated person is in COVID protocols. Uh, we don't know if he's positive yet, or at least I don't know if he's positive yet. Um, you know, I don't want to waste time talking about Danny Santana and Phillips Valdez, but um, what is your take on Chris Sale having COVID and just generally the COVID outbreak that the Red Sox have been dealing with? Yeah, um, it just, it's been really, really tough. Um, because we don't know who has been vaccinated, who has not, and then maybe it's just, it's really tough. And it really stinks that, you know, Sale was, you know, got that, that positive, uh, COVID test. So he's going to be basically be out for like two weeks. Um, uh, but I, I agree with you, Danny Santana and Phil Saldez, um, I, I hope that they're okay. Um, I, I'm sure that they will be. But, yeah, it's just this whole COVID thing has just been 
it's just I'm hoping that this is the end of our COVID notifications <laughs> on our phones and whatever from the Red Sox. Yeah, it's a uh, it's not been great, and I I think did you read the Ken Rosenthal article on the Athletic about um, kind of breaking down which teams had reached the eighty five percent and which teams that were in playoff contention hadn't reached the eighty five percent? Did you did you ever see that one? Yeah, and I did notice that our you know our team, the Red Sox, were on the they did not reach the eighty five percent. I was not happy. Yeah, one of seven teams that didn't in one of four teams that are in playoff contention uh, that did not. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, this wouldn't have happened if the team had reached 85%, but I think there's a better chance that it wouldn't have been uh, quite as bad uh, if they had reached the 85%. Um, and that's just a little bit disappointing uh, that, that a team that was playing this well uh, wasn't able to, to get to that mark to me. Yeah, I mean, especially knowing what uh, Eduardo Rodriguez went through last year after, you know, he tested positive for COVID and, you know, everything that he had to deal with. Um, Yeah. I I don't know how... I would love to just, like, put, like, some, like, truth serum on him and just want to know, like, his, like, true thoughts like how yeah. he's seeing people who are not getting vaccinated and he had to deal with everything that he had to deal with last year. Yeah, I mean, the dude almost lost his career potentially if, you know, cuz yeah. myocarditis doesn't always clear up. So, um yeah, I hadn't even really thought about that. That must be really tough for him to have to share a clubhouse with with uh some of those people, but you know, the thing is that a lot of these cases uh, were breakthrough cases, or I think that's what they're called, break, yeah, I think it's breakthrough cases. Um, but, you know, cases where they're still getting COVID, um, presumably with the Delta variant through uh, having the vaccine. So some of this can't be prevented. Um, but there are a few notable names that still haven't returned from the COVID IL. Uh, Matt Barnes is still not back. Uh Christian Arroyo, Jaron Duran, uh, Hirokazu Sawamura. You know, it's tough to say anything positive about this, but is there any way that this time off provided, you know, Barnes and Sawamura and these guys come back healthy, is there any way this time off maybe could benefit Barnes or Sawamura who were looking a little bit tired? Or is, you know, is this still just they're going to be wiped out from the illness? Um, I I think that's going to be really good for Barnes. I saw that he did get into a AAA game. I think it was Sunday or Saturday. He did get uh, some time in Worcester. I think he got like an inning. I think he strike out, struck out like one or two batters. So he looked fine. So I, I, I really feel that he's going to come back and hopefully figure out some things and be the Barnes that we saw earlier in the year. However, with like everyone else that you mentioned, Arroyo, Duran, Saramora, I haven't seen anything about them, you know, where they're getting like some rehab games and in the minor leagues or whatever. So I I, I really want Saramora back. I really miss that splitty, you know, yeah, you know, coming too. in in like the sixth or the seventh and just like just striking out some guys yeah i just i just really miss these guys arroyo just coming up and the clutch 
we need these guys back, and I, I hope that they come back soon. Yeah, I've missed Arroyo Sawamura way more than I thought I was going to, especially yeah. Arroyo's bat, you know, just being such a good situational bat throughout the year and him being at second base, and that really helps the lineup because it gets Kike in the outfield. Um, there's a lot of a lot of good things about those guys being back, so hopefully we will see them soon. Um, on the plus side, though, Nick Pavetta has come back, and he looked really good in his last start. Uh, what did you think of how he was able to bounce back from, you know, being out for that period of time? Yeah, I was really, really impressed with what he what he did on Sunday. Uh, like, if you if you watch the game, he he was totally like amped up for this game. You could totally see it. Uh, just his demeanor and everything. He was just like, yeah, I am. Yes, I sadly I got COVID, but I'm back. Look at me go. He didn't walk any batters. He went, I think, five innings. Um, he struck out plenty of guys. Um, just his demeanor made me feel confident that I can feel better about him going forward. Well, yes, I don't think that he's going to be like super great. I understand his limitations, but his demeanor and his performance coming off COVID, that COVID IL, it gave me like, okay, I feel a little bit better about you, Nick Pavetta. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and you're not alone there with bringing up the energy piece from Nick Pavetta. Um, I was listening to the radio broadcast and Will Fleming was talking about how before COVID, Pavetta was going through a little bit of a rough patch. And one of the trademark things that you look for with Pavetta is for him to be pretty hyped up he's a pretty high energy guy and he uh will fleming said that it looked like he had lost that a little bit um while he was scuffling and clearly he had that same juice back like you said um so that's good i mean we need an engaged nick pavetta a confident nick pavetta uh if this team is going to go where it wants to go and finish out the season uh, in a playoff position um speaking of pavetta though that curveball oh god i could watch that pitch all day. I love that thing. 100%. Like, I I, I always, like, when Pavetta's going good, I look forward to uh, watching his games. But even when he's going bad, I still tune in just to watch that curveball because <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. It's like a top three curveball in the game for me, I, I think, pretty yeah. easily. Which... You know, it, that is saying something. There's a lot of good curveballs in Major League Baseball, and the fact that Pavetta sticks out to that degree is uh, is really something. So happy to have him back. Um, on the other side of things, you know, the Red Sox, with Pavetta being out and with others being out, Chris Sale and, and all that, you know, we, we did see the debut of Cutter Crawford, which didn't look so good, but most recently we saw the debut of Connor Siebold, who's you know, definitely thought of as a guy who can eventually be a back-end starter for, for a team like the Red Sox, you know, a, a four or a five when everything's going right for him. I'm curious what your impressions were of Connor Siebold in his first start. It didn't go so long. It was just three innings, but, you know, what did you see? Did it give you hope or are you concerned? gave me hope um I honestly thought that Seabold would have been kind of like really in the rotation prior to this um but I mean he's dealt with injuries 
Um, but you know, his debut, I thought it was fine. Um, just the the yeah, I I thought it was totally cool. Um, especially going up against the White Sox, which is a really yeah. uh, lethal 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 offense. Three innings, two earned runs, just one hit run. Yeah, he didn't strike anybody out, but I thought it was I thought it was okay. And yeah. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean it's a tough draw. You're getting the division leading White Sox now with um with Lou Bob back there too. So I mean there's there's quite a bit of firepower there. Um it was interesting to me that the guy who killed him with the home run, which was like an embarrassingly crushed home run as well by a guy who doesn't hit home runs, was Leori Garcia, who he decided to throw uh, back-to-back change-ups to. And it made it more embarrassing when, uh, on the broadcast, Eck described it as a top-of-the-food-chain uh change up uh quoting someone in the organization and or maybe it was monica who did that but um yeah and then it got crushed because he threw back-to-back ones and liori just jumped all over it so yeah (laughs) that wasn't so great but um you know seabold you might have a 60 change up but you still can't throw it back to back against a major league hitter um there you go (laughs) Um, but but overall, I mean, I think that Seabold, um, he's interesting. I hope that he is somebody who attacks batters a little bit more. Um, I thought he nibbled a little bit more than I would like to see from him. But overall, I think, you know, first start going against the, the White Sox. Not so bad. Do you, do you think he can settle in as like a fifth or a fourth? Or, or is that too aggressive? Um, I think that he can. Um. I I hope that we don't have to, quote-unquote, get to Seabold as a fourth or fifth going into this offseason, going into next season. But I would be fine with him being, like, a number five starter. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. I'd like to see him get eased in a little bit more. But, yeah, I think as a fifth that, that would be okay, especially against non-White Sox opponents. Yeah. Um, J.D. Martinez has been out with back spasms. Uh, This comes as no surprise because he's got a lot of back issues in his past. But how worried are you about J.D. down the stretch and potentially into the playoffs? I'm pretty worried. Um, I mean, we also have to make note that J.D. has has been playing a lot of the outfield, especially with Schwarber uh, playing first. And, you know, there's no DH and all this other stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I love JD. I love his bat. But I don't think that he can play the outfield. He should be just DH. Which, it just really just muddles up that first base, you know, uh, conundrum that we have um, late in the season. Yeah, and, and Keaton and I did a podcast last week all about the defense on here, and one of the notable things about J.D. was his, his offensive splits when he's playing the outfield versus being a D.H. are just night and day. Uh, he's a really great hitter when he's at D.H., and he's a really poor hitter when he's out in the outfield. So I totally agree with you. Uh, it just underscores the 
issues with this lineup right now. I mean, Schwarber has gotten back-to-back starts in left field as well over the last couple days. Um, definitely not to my liking. I think you need to have uh, Kike, Renfro, um, Verdugo as your outfielders, and if you don't have that, it's it's not a great fit. It's just it's a little ugly. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, Travis Shaw, the mayor of Ding Dong City, as he is uh, known, has been actually poking some Ding Dongs uh, since he's been back with the Red Sox. This is kind of surprising to me. When he first was claimed by the team and he came back, I was not expecting this to work. I was sort of like crossing my fingers and hoping that uh, we're getting him at the right time and we can get something from him, but I wasn't expecting it. The dude has won a couple of games for this team. I mean, what is going on with Travis Shaw? Is is this going to be a bat that we can actually rely on down the stretch? Um, I don't know, but I am really liking it. Uh, I mean, I, I did like, some digging uh, today about, you know, players hitting well in, like, high leverage situations. Um, and I kind of, like, just ordered it. Um, on Fangraphs by um, just the Red Sox. And would you know that, you know, Travis Shaw just, like, is at the top. Do I really think that this is really going to continue going forward? Eh, Probably not, but I love it. Let's get more Travis Shaw here. I I love the dude. But, I mean, I really, I, I, I just don't know how he fits in with, Especially with the Schwarber and the J.D. Martinez. Like, where does Travis Shaw fit in that just kind of alignment? I don't know. But I, I've loved what he's been doing so far. Well, I think he, he probably has to steal time from Mr. Dahlbeck. And that's one of the things that's not on the agenda tonight. But I haven't talked to you in quite some time. Um, I certainly haven't talked to you since Dahlbeck has started playing out of his dome recently. Um are you buying Dahlbeck's breakout here, or would you still, I mean, do a strict platoon with, with, with Shaw, with him? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how confident to be about him. So I'm curious as to what your take is, because um, I feel like I can't think rationally about Bobby Dahlbeck anymore. <laughs> I totally get that. I totally get that. Um I mean, I've looked into kind of like a month-by-month kind of plate discipline stuff. Um, and it's been interesting that, you know, Dahlbeck has been taking more walks and being a little bit more conservative um, at the plate um, since the trading deadline. Because I was just seeing, like, is, is Kyle Schwarber doing something? Maybe talking to the guys. I've been hearing some things on, like, the broadcast and stuff. And yeah, Dahlbeck has been a bit more patient at the plate. Do I believe it going forward? Eh, I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like I, I don't know. It's it's so far it's going okay. Um, but I think that I trust Dahlbeck a little bit more than Travis Shaw. But it's, I you know just flip a coin. Honestly, in my opinion, Dalbeck um, versus Travis Shaw um, 
whoever gets, you know, another AB over Kyle Schwarber. Because Kyle Schwarber is just, I love the dude. Yeah, I love Schwarbs too. I need him back with this team next year, um, and I need JD to opt out. I'm really sorry, bud, but I need you to yeah. go get a nice, juicy National League deal uh, somewhere uh, while the, when they get the DH. But um, call me crazy, Shelley, but despite the hot streak of Bobby Dahlbeck, in a key situation in the playoffs, given my choice as to who takes the at-bat between Shaw and Dahlbeck, I'm choosing Shaw 100% of the time. Um, even with Dahlbeck's recent hot streak, yes, give me Shaw over give me Shaw over Dahlbeck. I'm with you there. I don't know what it is about Shaw, but he just... He, I, I would trust him in a high-clutch situation more than Dahlbeck. Yeah, the dude just seems to know how to take it at bat and, and take a pitch. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's it's good. Uh, what is not so good, though, is the back of the pen. Uh, we alluded to the issues in the pen since, you know, Barnes has been out and Salamora's been out. Um, the very back of the bullpen right now, Shelly, uh, contains Caleb Ort, Michael Feliz, Ryan Brazier, Stephen Gonzalez, and Brad freaking Peacock. Um, Darwinson is back from injury. Um, but I mean, how much trouble is this pen in? It's been bad the second half of the season. That is fair to say. It's been among the worst bullpens uh, in the second half of the season. But I mean, trying to plan out, you know, what the rest of the season is going to look like if they make the playoffs, like who the hell is going to be in the pen? Um, how worrisome is this group to you at this point? Or is this just the back end and who cares we'll have you know we'll have different guys in there come playoff time um this bullpen is absolutely trash um i mean you know barnes is out just saramore is out like those two clutch guys are out um adovino is still not really right you know, he like he still has trouble with like walks and stuff like that. Whitlock, I love the dude. I think he's great. But outside of that, you could do got Rubles, Josh Taylor. Okay, Garrett Richards has looked surprisingly great since he's been in the pen, but I still don't trust him because he's Garrett Richards. Just every everybody in that pen outside of Garrett Whitlock. Currently in the pen, I am. I'm just super scared about. And this bullpen is not ready for the playoffs whatsoever. Um, this is where, if we make it to the playoffs, um, this is where we're going to kind of lose things. And it makes me sad. It really does. Yeah, I'm there with you. Um, and you know, if you if you zero in on where this team's bullpen has been in the league um, over the second half of the season, it, it basically tells that story. Um, you know, Baltimore is the worst bullpen in the league. Uh, the Red Sox are the seventh worst bullpen in the league. Um, and the teams that you'd expect to be in the playoffs, uh, you know, L.A. Dodgers are the best, Milwaukee, San Francisco, Atlanta, New York Yankees, Toronto Blue Jays, like all those teams are towards the top. Um, 
the teams directly around Boston are the Diamondbacks, the Twins, the Rangers, the Rockies, Pittsburgh, the Cubs. Yeah, that's that's the company that their bullpen has been keeping in the second half. Yeah. And that's that's not what you want. Interestingly enough, San Diego Padres down there as well. So things don't bode well for them. Yep. All right. Um, so let's figure this out. We got a question from Bogarts Devers 22, which I agree. Um, and he says, who do you have winning the two AL wildcard spots? Uh, this is a really interesting question. Um, and the Red Sox, after this three-game set, uh, will be home on Friday for their last homestand. They have an eight-game homestand to close out the uh, regular season at home. And then they're going to be closing out the regular season for good uh, on the road. Um, they are currently tied. Red Sox and Blue Jays are tied for the first wild card spot with a 559 winning percentage. Sox are one game back in the loss column, one game up in the win column. Uh, Yankees are just a game behind those two. Um, as I mentioned before, Seattle and Oakland, three games back of those guys. And the current playoff odds by Fangraphs sit as this. Uh, 75.8% for Boston, 65.7% for Toronto, and 50.1% for the Yankees. Um, We don't play the Jays again, but we do play the Yankees at home as part of that final uh, homestand. A three-game set against the Yankees. Uh, Who gets these wildcard spots and why? Um... I think it is going to be, um, maybe I'm just going, I don't know. I I, I really do think that it's going to be Boston and Toronto. Um, Toronto scares me, like, extremely. And I think that we will just kind of sneak in just because how many wins that we have banked. Um, Yeah. But... I think that's the only reason that we'll get into that playoff uh, thing, and, and just like I, I don't want to face Toronto whatsoever. Yeah, I don't want to face Toronto either, and I agree with you. I think it's going to be Boston and Toronto, um, but I actually think it's going to be Toronto and Boston. So I think we're going to be playing that game. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Up in Canada, <laughs> um, and it's about time. I mean, the the. The run differential that we talked about with the Seattle Mariners, I mean, having the negative 57, um, the Toronto Blue Jays have been pretty much the opposite. All year, they've had the best run differential outside of the uh, Tampa Bay Rays in this division, and they've been lagging behind. They've been hanging out in fourth place a lot uh, this year, despite having a, a run differential that says they should be a lot closer to the Rays than they actually were. Um, right now, I think they have the best lineup uh, in the division. I think they might have the best rotation in the division. And their bullpen has been right up there uh, with the Yankees for the best in the division. Uh, Actually better than the Rays in the second half of the season. I think they're pretty clearly clicking at the right time. They scared the hell out of me. Uh, In a one-game series, I think if you're throwing Eovaldi or Sale, you could still beat them in a one-game playoff. Um... But I wouldn't want to play them in a in a elongated series right now. 
Oh, 100%. Um, I mean, I loved what Toronto did at the trading in line, adding, um, you know, a little bit more to their starting rotation, adding more to their road, um, you know, their bullpen, and they've just been like lights out. And of course, we always know that Toronto can hit. Um, honestly, that is the most the scariest team um so yeah i agree with you that toronto is looking really really good to make a long run in the playoffs how about marcus Simeon too dude's gonna have a 40 oh home run season <laughs> that as totally, a second baseman that totally blows my mind i never expected this but it really just it makes me feel happy that the dude like totally gambled, quote unquote, gambled on himself after, you know, the A's gave him like a really low ball offer. He's like, nah, nah, I'm not taking this. I am just going to go gamble on myself. And he's just going to hit 40 bombs and basically make a bazillion dollars um, this offseason. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. He's amazing. Yep, it's a really, really good story. Um, so I'm, I'm happy for him. He's also been an amazing defender at uh, over at second base, moving off shortstop. So yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna make a lot of money this offseason. Um, let's get to our final two listener questions before we go ahead and get on out of here. Uh, our first question comes from Alden. And he says, says uh, say the wild card game is tonight. Who's your ninth inning guy with a one-run lead? Um, so if it's tonight, we're assuming that Barnes and Salamora are not options. Who would be the guy that you go with in the ninth inning? Um, Garrett Whitlock. Um, I've loved what he has done this year. Um, yes, he's kind of been like a little... A little shaky here recently but I just love his composure just everything that he does give me Garrett Woodlock if we don't have the chance of Barnes yeah I'm gonna even be be more in that camp than you I'm gonna say give me where Garrett Whitlock even if we had Barnes uh, I just I trust him more than anyone else uh, in the bullpen um, you know, the way that Barnes has played over the last month and change has really scared the hell out of me about uh, him in those key situations. So, man, I'm, I'm pretty worried about the idea of Barnes, and I'm not sure I'm going to, like, get over that fear of Matt Barnes being bad uh, this season. Yeah. So I, I think I would even prefer Ottavino over him uh, at this point. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, our last question of the night comes from Tom Penny, and he says, what's Erod's market going to look like? This is a really interesting question, Shelley, and, um, you know, one that will be explored and answered in the offseason. He has a 5.15 ERA right now, uh, which is the worst of his career. However, if you look under the surface, his XERA backed up by his FIP and XFIP and all sorts of other advanced metrics pretty much have him as the same pitcher that he's been for the last three years. Um, what do you think teams are going to care about more, Shelley? The fact that he's 
you know, pretty much there by the advanced metrics or the fact that his ERA isn't quite so good? Um, I, I really don't know when it comes to Erod. Um, I, I, just as a fan, I don't really want to re-sign Erod. Um, as much as I love the dude and everything that he's done, he's way too volatile. You know, like I just, yep. I just, I, I don't think that he is necessarily. This is gonna sound bad. Necessarily worth maybe what he's gonna get. Um, I understand the talent. I, 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 I see the talent, but he's just so volatile. I'm just like. Yeah, maybe we should focus on maybe re-signing someone else, using that money somewhere else versus Erod. And it makes me really, really, really sad to say that. Yeah, I mean, I would drive Erod to the airport. Um, he is, I'm <laughs> done with the Erod experience. Um, but somebody is going to get foolish and somebody is going to pay him like five years 80 million bucks, maybe even a little bit more, maybe like 5 and 85. Um, he's a 28-year-old lefty who throws pretty hard and who has had very quality underlying metrics really since 2016. Um, someone's going to get silly. Um, so he's going to be an angel? <laughs> That's actually a great guess. Um, <laughs> angel, maybe a diamondback? Uh you know, some team uh, <laughs> out west, I think, is going to get silly and pay him. But yeah, uh, no team more hungry for pitching uh, than the Angels. So yeah, Moreno, step up to the plate. Um, I love that call, <laughs> Shelly. I think you, we, we have a future Angel on our hands. But, you know, I wouldn't be okay with the Red Sox re-signing him unless it was like a one-year or two-year type like show-me thing. And even then, I'd rather just have somebody else. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It, I mean, it really makes me sad because I I loved what he has done when he's been really good, but the inconsistency. I'm just like, yeah, I I no, I can't deal with it. Yeah, need some more stability in my life. All right, well that wraps up our episode of today's show. Shelley, thank you for stepping in as a pinch hitter and doing your best uh, healthy Christian Arroyo uh, impersonation, and uh, thank your your wonderful Frenchies for for being with us as well. Uh, yeah, I hope that I uh, I, I hope that I uh, you know took it out the park like Christian Arroyo does, and sorry for all the snores, guys. I think it was a grand slam. So uh, thank you for joining us on this episode. Please check out our other shows on the network as well. Shelly's other two shows, the Red Sox on Deck podcast, as well as the Precap podcast with Keaton, and then uh, the Over the Monster podcast with Matt Collins and Brian Joyner. So appreciate you listening, and we'll be with you again next week.